Good Thursday morning, everyone. Doug Farrar, editor of Touchdown Wire on the USA Today Sports Media Group, along with Mark Schofield, our five-tool guy, as always. And Mark, I guess I can't call you a five-tool guy because there's a baseball lockout. The Mariners yeah. finally signed a good pitcher, and now there's no baseball. Yeah, now there's no baseball. Bat. I mean, oh, goodness gracious. Well, the Red Sox traded for Jackie Bradley, Bradley Jr., so those uniform photoshops were pretty easy since he used to wear a Red Sox uniform. But, uh, yeah, I mean, baseball is going to figure it out. Um, good timing for the Mariners, though, because there's a rule in Seattle, apparently, where the Seahawks and the Mariners can't be good at the same time. And uh, yeah, we know how that's going. We do know how that's going. That window seems to have slammed shut. Oh, it's slammed shut, broken, boarded up, and goodbye. Anyway, uh, speaking of teams that don't have draft picks, <laughs> Chris Jamal Adams. Oh, no. uh, I, when I saw who you had uh, at the Jamal Adams pick, I just I wanted to break something because that guy would look pretty good in Seattle's defense, but they're not going to get him. Nope. Uh, you did do your mock draft 1.0, and I wanted to, before we get into the, the matchups this week, um, and we're going to start with the Monday night game. I wanted to get into your mock, just like the, the top 10. You have Thibodeau going to the Lions at one. And I was just curious what had you going uh, Thibodeau over um, Hutchinson? Hutchinson. Yeah, it, it's it's such a tough call right now. I know Hutchinson, six of one, and it's just kind of like who you like that day. Yeah, I mean, it's really pick your poison there. Um, they're, they're both incredibly talented. Um, Hutchinson has obviously been part of that Michigan defense, which everybody saw that, you know, they beat Ohio State. He was a huge part of that. He's the really sort of in the that, bull oh, rush oh from him. Like both of these two have good pass rushing plans. Both of these two using their hands extremely well. I just, I still lean Thibodeau right now. Um, the explosiveness off the edge, the power, the speed to power. Um, but if you want to sit here and tell me that the Lions go Hutchinson one, I, I get it. I mean, they're both incredibly talented. Um, and, you know, testing might go a long way towards deciding which guy comes off the board first because, you know, how they do in terms of 10-yard splits, how they do in terms of broad and, and vertical and the explosive testing might be the ter- determinant factor. But they're both great players. I just lean Thibodeau right now. Uh, you have the Texans at two taking Derek Steeling Jr. I don't really argue with that. You have the Jaguars taking Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, this one's three. a bit. I, now, Jacksonville fans are iffy on this one, and I get why? it. Why? Well, I think a lot of Jacksonville fans look at the fact that you got to protect Trevor Lawrence. Like, you're struggling to protect him right now. So, a lot of Jacksonville fans are saying Evan Neal, you know, maybe one of the other tackles, the, the kid from NC State. Um but I look at it as you have a glaring need at the back half of that defense. And Kyle Hamilton is a true sideline to sideline, modern safety that could do so many different things for you, that can fix mistakes in the front two levels of a defense at the blink of an eye. Like he's a game changer at the back half of a defense. And I, I positional value, I throw that out the window. Plus, I'm somebody that looks at the value of safety play at the football, at the national football level. Thank you. We're going to talk about. Thank you. Please. Thank you. When we get into this Monday night game, we're going to talk about the importance of safety play in today's NFL, (laughs) whether it's Buffalo, whether it's New England. And so, yeah, I'm all bored. Kyle Hamilton to the Jacks. Big nickel, baby. Well, here's my question. Is Kyle Hamilton the best player in this draft class? I believe he is. And there's never been a safety going number one. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I, I think. Does that positional value think, okay, Let's put positional value in, and safety is actually incredibly important now. Yeah, yeah. We're on the same page there. So I, I would say even if you factor in positional value, it's an argument to draft him three, four, two, wherever. One. Yeah. I mean, I would. Yeah. Uh, you have Hutchinson going to the Jets at four. Sauce Gardner going to the Jets. Enjoy that, Seattle. Yeah. Shut everyone I, down in man coverage. Not I, Seattle plays man because they can't. But, uh, I, a lot of people have other guys at CB2 right now. Booth from Clemson, Alam from Florida. I love Sauce. I, I did a video on him. I 10 plays of him in man coverage. He's long. You don't even need to press play. You just see him line up and press alignment. You can see the length. And what I love about it is he uses that length so well. He always has a hand on the receiver. He always has a hand on the receiver. So he could be rutted with you on a crosser. He knows where you are, but he'll have his eyes on the QB. Like it's an incredible trade. There are a couple of plays I highlighted where he got scramble drill adjustments and he could flip his hips. 
like a guy that's five, six, but he's six, three, he's listed at six, three. And the reason why I put him to the jets, I look at Robert Salah's defenses. I look at that defense of the United San Francisco. What did he have? He had two pass rushers, right? He had Bosa, you know, he had Buckner. They had ability to get pass rushers in tandem. Now you get Lawson, you get Hutchinson. And what else did he have? He had a long corner. Now, Richard Sherman wasn't the Richard Sherman of the Legion of Boom days, but you still had a long corner. That was I, I watched him for Sherman a couple months ago. His, his last season with the Niners, he was pretty damn good. Yeah. And so yeah. you start seeing a defense with Hutchinson, with Gardner, that is starting to look a little bit like what Salah had in San Francisco. And so I, I know a lot of people, a lot of Jets fans are like, you know, we go wide receiver there. We go offensive line there. I don't know, man. It, it will be hard for Salah, I think, to pass on Gardner. And he is the perfect Pete Carroll corner. So I hope Pete's watching that pick happen. Yeah. Yeah. I traded that for whatever. For an edge uh, Giants, Evan Neal, no argument there. Good Lord, their offensive line. Reads this, the, the, the argument one because a lot of Giants fans have said, you know, we go somewhere else. We go in a different direction. We don't want to draft an interior offensive lineman in the top. Well, you well, have them with Green uh, at seven. So they're. Yeah. <laughs> I think you do it. I, I think you do draft. Uh, I, I, I know double dipping at offensive line sounds crazy, but I think this is a year to do it. You have to shore up that offensive line unless they decide to go to Daniel Jones, different direction, right? Unless yeah. a new GM comes in and says, you know what? I did not draft Daniel Jones. He was not my guy. Then maybe they trade down. I don't know if you reach quarterback there, but um, if, they want to build around Daniel Jones. You're going to show up that offensive line. Will Hernandez has not worked out. You've got a backup center right now. That's, that's played okay. You know, Nate Solder is Nate Solder not needs the to answer. retire. Nate so that's why you get that's, the, that. He might be the worst right tackle in the NFL. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think you've got to address the both the edges and the interior. You do that. I loved watching Kenyon Green on tape. Uh, Mahler in the run game, very aware in the pass game, picks up stunts extremely well, which is so big for interior offensive linemen these days. And so, yeah, I'm fine going double dipping on offensive line. Uh, speaking of double dipping, Eagles at eight, you have the kid from Purdue, the edge rusher. Yeah. And then nine, you have Garrett Wilson, Ohio State. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's good. I mean, another, another guy to ignore so you can have Jalen Ritter drop passes. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the, the way the draft is set up right now, if it were to happen today, you have two teams double dip in back-to-back picks, the, the Jets, the Giants, and the Eagles, which is just fascinating to think about. And, of course, similar to the Giants discussion, do the Eagles run it back with Jalen Hurts? Two weeks ago, I would have said, yeah, absolutely. Now, eh, I, still a little, I still say you do, too, especially with this quarterback class. But, you know, I, I, they've got three picks to play with. Later in this, in this first round, I have them going Devin Lloyd, who's probably LB1, the kid from Utah. Um, who's extremely talented. He'll be down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Um, now, I remember last draft cycle, I got excoriated by Brown's Twitter because I mocked them JOK in the first round. Good word. I was just going to say, kids, um, they got him in the second, and he looks pretty good. So yeah. I do think, you know, if you need a linebacker, you go get one. But the, the Purdue edge, I think, is a need. You know, they've, they've struggled to get pressure on quarterbacks. And then they, they, they haven't got wide receiver figured out, even though they've sunk a lot – of draft capital into the wide receiver position that hasn't been figured out. So Wilson, you know, pick who your wide receiver one is in this draft. Maybe it's Wilson. Maybe it's Burks. Maybe it's Olave. Maybe it's Dotson from Penn state. There are a lot of names out there. Williams, the Bama kid, but I think they go wide receiver. Well, they already have a WR one. They just kind of go find him. Um, yeah. Panthers at 10. I mean, you got, uh, is it a Yeah. And he is anybody. Oh my God. The, what Jalen Phillips and um, oh my God, what am I doing? The the inside guy uh, for the Dolphins. What the hell was wrong with my brain? It, it's it's December. That's what's wrong. Emmanuel Ogba. Good lord, yeah. Doug. That's embarrassing. Sorry. Uh, what they did to that offensive line uh, was, I mean, and they benched Cam Newton for his own protection. Yeah. Well, this is this is the offensive line you. Yeah, I mean, I mean they're banged you, up, but this is it's been that battle. It's here, a bad so. offensive line. I know a lot of Panthers fans are saying you got to go quarterback there, and I understand the desire for a new quarterback. I get it, but this is a bad offensive line. And you know, this NC State kid is is fantastic. Um, Brandon Thorne is talking about him. There's been some discussion. He might be the guy this year that everybody's like, Yeah, man, this, this is a fantastic offensive tackle that's moving the guard. 
I don't see it. I think he's a tackle to the next level. But as Brandon Thorne put it, people have been asking me, where do you line him up in the NFL? And I say, wherever you damn well want to line him up, he's that good. He's that this year's Rashawn Slater. Yeah. Yeah. I watched Slater and not just Ohio State, but the whole year. Uh, not, I mean, he opted out last year, but uh, you know, moving the guard, why? Yeah, I, I don't get it either. He's got that snatch trap, which you've seen a lot of guys do now on the edges. So good at that. So violent with his hands. Like I, he's a he's a left tackle in the NFL. Just put him there and leave him there. He'll be fine. Yep. Uh, let's start with with the matchups this week. Let's start. Let, we're going to go to the last game first. Uh, Bills at Patriots. It's the one everyone's talking about. Um. Now, Mark, you have a passing interest in this game. So passing uh, <laughs> I have a few notes and I want to turn it over to you for a few things. Uh, Brian Dable has done a great job. of scheme. He did a great job against the Saints scheming things up. Yeah. Multiple run concepts, motion deception, a lot of quick game to get things going against England's heavy too high zone. I'll get into the Saints defense in a minute. It looks weird. Um, Breda has been a nice addition to the run game. It's not an explosive offense, but they're doing the best they can in matching personnel to scheme. And then once in a while, you have Stefan Diggs just nuking poor Marshawn Lattimore on a pivot right on that touchdown. It was like, yeah, game over. Um, they're going to need to move past the window dressing if they want to go deep in the playoffs, but Dable's on point right now. Yeah, um, Dable's been doing well. Um, Allen played well uh, against the Saints. This game is fascinating to think about from a, a couple of different angles. Um, a lot of people have said in, in recent days that the Colts put together the blueprint for how New England is going to win this game, right? You watch that Colts game from a couple of weeks ago, and the way that the Colts were able to run the football. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of Bills people this week. Uh, Nate Gary from WGR up in Buffalo talked about how the Colts have a very diverse run game, and you sh- you saw it in that game, inside zone, outside zone, duo, trap, crunch, like all the stuff that they were doing. Well, the Patriots can replicate some of that, but I, I think it's important to remember they were out without Star Lutulele. They were without, back. He's, he's off back. COVID. Yeah. yeah. Terrell Edmonds, he was out. He's back. And so a lot of the stuff that the Colts were able to do against that defense – changes now because with star out you don't have one defensive tackle you have to double and what the Colts did was really play use Ed Oliver's strength as a penetrator against him that's why they ran so much trap stuff let him get upfield we'll just trap him and you can single up everything the front side as well because you don't have star to deal with you want to do that now that's going to be tough you know you run that crunch design where you've got you know Hunter Henry trying to trap star that's a different ball game. And so I, I think the idea that New England's going to be able to come in and just run all over them and replicate what Indianapolis did, I'm not so sure about that one. But the other thing to I keep want in mind just is, to break in, uh, the Colts, the Patriots have one thing that the Colts did a fullback who yeah. is just a. That's the other thing. You know, for, they've got Jacob Johnson, the Stuttgarter. The, yeah. The, is he from? I, I didn't, I don't know. He's an Ohio. international player from Germany. Yeah. Um, this part dude of the chooses violence program. on every play. He is looking for people to hurt. Yeah, and you and I, you and I talked about him offline. He's their offensive version of Juwan Bentley, a guy that just wants to run through your face. Like that's what he wants to do, and so that's sort of an X factor here because they use the fullback so much in their run game, where they'll do trap stuff. They'll do you know GF counter with him, where they've and got then you get back here's trap. Shaq Mason who's gonna. Yeah, I mean, Blower they're running asset. that stuff with Shaq Mason as the first trap and Jakob Johnson as the second trap. They'll run that over and over and over again. And, and so there's that element. To there was that think. one. Uh, there was one play against the Titans, the Peco kid, who's like 305. And yeah. Johnson just obliterated him. Yeah. Threw him like threw him like three yards. Yeah. And that's what they where they want to be. So I, I still think that while it might not be the same kind of success or look the same as Indianapolis did, they'll have an ability to run the football. The other thing to keep in mind, friends, weather. Yeah. You, know, you look at not to get weather dirty here, but the European model has snow coming in, like significant snow coming in on Monday night. The American model is a little bit different. It says more wind either way. How did, how do these teams handle that? And when you start thinking about wind, Josh Allen versus Mac Jones. Like, this is going, that's going to be something to, to sort of keep in mind. I mean, there are so, I, I could probably go an hour on this game. I, I yeah. Um, but um, we've, got a, we've got a lot to go over. Um, 
Patriots killer front multiplicity. We talked about this. Barmore yeah. is illegal. They're equally dominant in man and zone coverage. I mean, they have they they can do whatever they want. Based on what the Titans did, what did you see from New England's run defense? And it's not necessarily a concern against Buffalo, but is there a weakness there? I mean, the Titans. Or was that just one game? Yeah, I mean, I think it's more it was just one game. I mean, the Titans do have some good offensive concepts in the run game that obviously are a lot different with Derrick Henry. I mean, but if you had told me before that game, look, Hilliard and company are going to get like 260 yards rushing or something like that, obviously New England's in trouble. Um, but they were able to generate turnovers on some runs, you know, the wad run with the fumble at the end of it. They were able to sort of minimize the damage there. I don't think that there's – you know, a concern there from a New England defensive structural standpoint. It's also important to remember Buffalo is probably going to get Spencer Brown back because mm-hmm. he's coming back from a back injury. It allows Williams to kick inside the guard. And I think they're going to get Feliciano back at left guard. So they might finally have their best five. So in terms of run of the football, that's not Buffalo's strength, but I think they might be a little bit better at it, especially, you know, if they give Breida more run, which I think they should that I, I think they'll be better at running the football. And the other thing to keep in mind is with their best five, they've struggled to protect Josh Allen against four this year. I mean, I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. Last year, Allen was, you know, blitzed the most in the league, but still fared pretty well against, you know, pressure in terms of his production. But this year, he's been blitzed the 19th most in the league, but he's been pressured second most behind Kirk Cousins. He's been hurried second most behind Kirk Cousins. They can't protect him when the teams just bring four. You saw Jacksonville do that. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that's New England's recipe, is, is getting pressure with four. And so with Feliciano back, with Williams kicked inside the guard, with Spencer Brown back, they might have a better shot at protecting Josh Allen when New England just brings four. Uh, the one really huge elephant in the room we haven't talked about yet is Tredavious White is out for the rest of the season yes. and the injury, which completely sucks because he's so good and that yep. defense is so good. So now you have Levi Wallace coming up to CB1. Um, I mean, he's a good boundary guy. He's like, I mean, a slightly lower version of the, the Richard Sherman, Jalen Ramsey model where you get a big, long limb guy who just takes that extra split second to recover and you know plant against receivers who are really with angular routes and different concepts and that that's a really bad matchup here because yeah the patriots are dialing it up route wise something fierce and kendrick Bourne is like ooh this guy came out of nowhere so that yeah. i mean that to me now uh we discussed this last week mac jones ranked second in the league with five interceptions against the blitz the Bills have not blitzed a lot this season 20th in the league with 79 snaps in which there were five more pass rushers but they've allowed just 40 completions and 79 attempts for 467 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions, and an opponent QBR of 61.5, by far the lowest in the league. Now, that was all with White on the field, so it's going to be a downgrade. And I know this isn't really a Leslie Frazier thing to do. Sean McDermott, he worshipped at the altar of Jim Johnson, so he knows how to dial up a blitz. I wonder if this is the week and maybe the rest of the season where the Bills say, hey, you know, we got the best safety duo in the league. We are now super – and I think Dane Jackson is going to be the other guy because they don't want to take Teron Johnson out of the slot. No. He's like the best slot corner in the NFL this year. Um, I wonder if the Bills start blitzing more, more front multiplicity, but getting, you know, star back and other guys. Like, okay, we have relied so much on our linebackers and our secondary, and now the alpha is gone, so we got to move it up front a little bit and, and make that the focus. I think so, but I think you want to be careful with how you blitz Mac Jones. Yes. Because he, he's been pretty good when he can – like, if you want to mug A-gaps and threaten him on the inside where he can see it pre-snap, he'll beat it. You know, even the Deron Harmon blitz from depth um, that Vast and I talked about, where he can see it coming from 15 yards, he can beat it. Where you get him is blitzing off the edges, you know, because you, you watch that Atlanta game, and I think there is a – That's funny because that's like reverse Brady, right? Yeah, it is reverse Brady because Brady could deal with it because what Brady was very good at, and I think Mac Jones could get there with experience, is confirm coverage, confirm edge, confirm coverage again, throw the football. Like, to, to do all that, it's a lot. I think where Mac has struggled this year, and again, I, I would invite people to rewatch that Atlanta game, that, yeah, the Atlanta game, 
DPs did some stuff off the edges where Mac wasn't good enough with his eyes to confirm that it was blocked up or confirm that it wasn't blocked up and get the football out. Like the, the sort of twist stunt where they brought the safety down and they mm-hmm. mugged the gaps. They, Mac Jones is very good pre-snap. If he sees that shifting the back up, bringing the tight end, doing and all that stuff to make sure it's protected. They slide the protection to the right. They have that little twist with the safety in the end and backside tackle win has to make that squeeze call where he can't block them both. So they work inside out, but then he blocks the end. The safety loops inside. Mac Jones doesn't confirm that and he gets sacked. He's dead to rights. They did something front side where it was the same thing. Like they're trying to bring two guys off the edges. Tackle can't block both. And Jones doesn't see it quickly enough. So I think Leslie Frazier would be smart. Yes, to blitz him, but do it off the edges. Because if he could see it pre-snap, and this dates back to his days at Alabama, there was a play against Notre Dame early in that semifinal where he knew he couldn't get it blocked up. They didn't have enough guys, so he bails the pocket early or drifts in the pocket. He had one like that, that Harmon, Harmon play where he'll just he'll backpedal, he'll backpedal and just make a throw. So blitz him, yes, but do it where he's not ready to diagnose it. That's what you're going to do. Uh, game planning for the other quarterback in this game. Uh, Josh Allen has been better against man than zone in his career. Uh, he's great with man beaters, as is Brian Dable. You've mentioned that the page, I mean, because the Patriots are dominant. It's really rare. It's they're dominant in man and zone. All band yeah. concept, like like whatever they got it. Um, they've trended heavily zone the last few weeks. I would expect that to continue. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's where you want to be against Josh Allen. Now, as we saw last year, San Francisco, Denver, New England during that stretch when he figured out zone, it was nightmare fuel for opposing defenses. Like he was just carving them up. But I think you want to stay in zone because he's had some struggles against it. You want to stay in zone because that's where you've been. I mean, against Atlanta, they had six pass coverage snaps, New England did, in zero, one, or man two. They had 25 in cover two, cover three, cover four, cover six, quarter, quarter, half, whatever you want to call it. They're a zone team right now. So that, that's what they do well. And it's tied to their defensive front with Judon and the pressure they could get. And the other thing is this you got to keep eyes on Josh Allen. Like, like he will beat yeah. you with his legs. And so if you're he's running, man, like, he's coverage, basically skill set wise. He's basically Cam Newton. Yeah. Yeah. But he's a Cam Newton that can make time and rhythm throws. Yeah. He's a Cam Newton that he can go work through full field progressions and look guys off. Like the development of Josh Allen is going to be something that NFL franchises are going to try to replicate year in and year out for the next 10 years is why you're going to see Malik Willis drafted in the first round yeah. because you're, they're going to look at him and think we could do what they did with Josh Allen. So Allen is a very good quarterback, but you want to keep eyes on him, you know, because if it's 39 and you've got everybody covered up and he scrambles for 10, you'll be kicking yourself. So you yeah, want to sort of keep eyes Q, on him. Yep. He'll QB draw your ass for 12. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Any more thoughts on this game? Cause that's, that's a big one. I mean, it, look, this is a, in terms of, I'd like to offer. Talk to me game. about Kendrick Ward for a second. Talk to me about that receiver group because we haven't really discussed that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's typical Belichick fashion where they have guys and they ask them to do what they do well, down in and down out. For Aguilar, I, you know, he's really. I don't like when he does that because it's scary. Coaches, coaches should that. just, you know. Put square pegs in round holes and or maybe well, it's, it's interesting. They I live kind of, in Seattle, so like I yeah, they kind of did it with Mac though, because it, you know I wrote mm-hmm. about this right. You want to go RPO stuff, you want to go play action, but shot plays downfield off play action. That's what he did at Alabama. They basically said no. Josh McDaniels is telling us straight to our faces, we're not an RPO team. That's not what we do. They've yeah. run like six RPOs all year. Which, yeah, yeah. That that's just not who they've made Mac Jones fit their offense even though, you know, Mac's skill set is probably ideal for it, but they basically said, look, this is our offense. You're going to run a kid. But with the receivers, with other positions, they basically said, Aguilar, you're going to be sort of our deep guy, your overs, your crossers, your deep posts. Bourne, Myers, they kind of operate a lot underneath. They work well together. They fit well together. You know, I, I think this is also an example of, it's important to remember when you start thinking about teams, offenses, even fantasy football, Right. If you've got a backup quarterback, who's he throwing to in training camp? He's throwing to the threes. He's throwing to the fours. And that's where Kendrick Bourne sort of started out at the start of training camp with, you know, obviously Myers and the kill Harry getting run with the ones. And so he has got a, got a good developmental relationship with Kendrick Bourne. So when you see a third and six play and he's just like, I'll throw it one yard shallow to Kendrick Bourne and we'll see what happens after the catch. 
they're comfortable with Mac Jones doing that because they trust their defense. They, they have got it ingrained in Mac Jones's mind that if you throw it away on third down or if you take a check down on third down and we don't get the first down, that's fine. We'll punt on the football. And you could see the Belichick Saban pipeline in Jones's mind, whereas it was the same thing at Alabama, right? Saturday night down in Tuscaloosa, you're playing Lane Kiffin, you know, throwing it away on third down is fine because we'll get a stop. Throwing it away on third and long, fourth and long, whatever, it's okay. We got a good defense, and it's the same thing right now. It's they've got a good defense. They trust their defense. If Mac Jones has to throw it away or turf it or take a sack, even don't make mistakes. Don't put our defense in a bad situation. We'll be fine. He had eleven play action attempts against Tennessee. Completed every single one of them. Yeah, very good on play action. And the the thing with play action is where do they want to be off of it? They want to be on crossers. They want to be throws to the flat. It's not a play action shot play downfield type of offense. It's a play action. We're going to get those second level defenders sucked up and we're going to give him an easy throw to Smith, to Henry, to Myers, to Bourne on these shallows. Now, at some point, I think they'll start to push it downfield a little bit more, but that's a year two, year three discussion for what they want to be right now. They'll live on those crossers to death. And frankly, Brady lived on those late into his time in New England. That trap pass with Gronk on the crosser. They'll take that every day. Uh, I think I, I think Levi Wallace is going to get pushed back a lot on stuff he thinks is going to be vert, and then it's going to be right back. Yeah, yeah. They're they're just that, that's that's kind of his kryptonite. Um, yeah, he's a good player. He's improved a lot in the last couple of years, but that's you know it's kind of who he is. <laughs> uh, Cowboys at Saints tonight's game. Saints will be without Alvin Kamara, Teron Armstead, and Ryan Ramchick. Here comes Micah Parsons, who had a sack and ten total pressures against the Raiders last week. Oof. Uh, Taysom Hill at quarterback. Do not run boot action to Michael no. Parsons area nope. of field because he will kill your quarterback. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh, I don't know what to say about the Saints offense. The Saints defense, they've lost four straight for the first time since weeks nine through 13 of the 2015 season. There was a buy on that one. Uh, in this new four-game stretch, the Saints have officially become a member of the Don't Play Man If You Can't Play Man Club. Yeah. In weeks one through eight, when playing man coverage, New Orleans allowed 68, uh, 68 of 118 for 974 yards, six touchdowns, five interceptions in weeks nine through 12, uh, 26 of 34 for 453 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Very bad trend for a team that is set up above all else to play man coverage. And I wonder with the limitations in the offense since Jameis got hurt, uh, Simeon, obviously not the guy. Taysom Hill, we know what he is and what he isn't. I wonder if Dennis Allen is backing up and saying, okay, we'll take the paper cuts to eliminate or, or minimize almost having our offense on the field. I don't know why they've become so passive in the last few weeks, but it really shows on tape. Yeah. And I think there's probably something to that. You know, they, you know, because of the deficiencies on offense, they're doing things a little bit different, differently on defense. And like you said, they've been very passive. They're playing more soft coverages. They're giving a lot more pre-snap cushions and things like that because they it's can't. It's basically afford- first down and eh, second down and eh, third down crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they can't afford to give up huge chunk plays. They can't afford to get down in games. They have to try to drag things down to rock fight level. Um, I'm not so sure that works against Dallas. Like, well, Amari Cooper is probable, I guess, yep. for coming off COVID. Mike McCarthy won't coach the game because he has COVID. There's an outbreak in the building. I guess Ben McAdoo will be in the press box. So you want a rock fight? There's your rock fight. Yeah. Um, one thing, and, and the Cowboys have not run the ball of late very well. I know they've had some shifts on the offensive line. To me, and it's these like, I was talking about Jakob Johnson, Connor McGovern, who's a, he's he's been playing left guard, but he was kind of their swing guy and not a swing tackle as in, Oh, I'll line up next to the right tackle in six. OL. he was a red zone fullback. There was that 37 yard screen to CD lamb. I think it was against the Raiders where they ran quads left and he was blocking. He was like the, the point man in, in bunch. Yep. And their offense has been much less multiple. I don't know why they moved McGovern to left guard. I don't know if it was performance or injury. I, I, I don't know. But they moved McGovern to a more static position, and their offense immediately became less multiple because whatever McGovern is or isn't as a traditional guard, um, he was really good in Kellen Moore's offense as that kind of move-around guy. So yeah. I don't know if they 
Um, I, I have not researched it. So Cowboys fans, uh, if you're listening, you know, hit us up on Twitter and say, oh, yeah, dumbass, it was this. Go, okay, thank you. Um, but he's got that sneaky ability to play all over the field. Without that, that offense becomes more normal. And that's not what they want. Yeah, no, it's not what they want because a lot of what Kellen Moore was doing was really successful in terms of creating pre-snap conflicts, a lot of the four-by-one stuff that they were doing, moving McGovern around, like you're trying to account for guys and where they are, what they're doing schematically. Um, You know, you sort of lose that element. Now, you know, there's there's also sort of a a DAC issue in the room. Um, I I don't want to say that he's – I think he's still sort of struggling with the calf. Yeah. Um, and I think, look, he is some plant calf or which one is it? It's the right calf. Okay. So it's his, you know, it's his plant and push. Um, he missed some throws against the Raiders that I, I think there's a mechanical thing going on as a result of that, because I, I think what's happening is because he doesn't have full confidence in that and full strength and that he's driving off of it more and he's opening up the front wildly. Like, like he's really like on that corner that he missed to gallop in the end zone. He's driving off of it so much where he basically steps right to the sideline. It's like, you want to be left. Sure. Steve Axman, you want to be left of the target line to let that right hip come through, but he's so far left. He's really pulling things off and he's missing everything high and left. Like, like that's where he's missing stuff right now. And and so I, I think that that's hurting him. Now he's had look a mini buy. Well, I guess not really because it's still a little weak um, since they're playing Thursday to Thursday. Um, so you, you, it's it's not like I think it's a, a fatal thing or anything like that, but I do think it's something to keep an eye on because if he keeps wildly opening up and missing things high and outside, like that's going to be a problem in the passing game. One of the first quarterbacks I analyzed, like mechanically, I talked to some people who were close to the Bucks and were familiar with it. When I hear flailing wide open, the first guy I think of is Josh Freeman. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. Tom House had a, a picture of Tom Brady that he put up on Twitter. I think it was Wednesday or it was maybe Tuesday. And he had the closed front foot on that front foot strike. And it was just, I saw that and I'm like, yeah, well, Dak's not doing that right now. Like, cause Tom Brady's toes are sort of closed and it's all set the hallway and it all. And Dak's like, whenever you're watching an end zone angle of a quarterback, and you can see the entire outside of his front foot when he plants and throws, like that's not good. Like no. it's just pointed that way. And so your target, right? Yeah. Your so, your target, right. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, it, I, I think there's a injury, which is created a bit of a mechanical problem, which I, I think once he's sort of back to hundred percent, it's going to be fine. But I do think it's an issue for him right now. Uh, hopefully the officiating will be better since the, than the last. Yes. Good Lord. Um, Couldn't be worse. What a crap show. Buccaneers at Falcons. Speaking of crap shows, Matt Ryan in his last three games, 47 of 78 for 460 yards, 5.9 yards per attempt, one touchdown, five interceptions, and a pass rating of 54.4. I think this is the Mark Schofield curse. <laughs> League high, seven interceptions against the Blitz. The Buccaneers blitz a lot. That's the bad news for Matt Ryan. The good news for Matt Ryan is while the Buccaneers blitz a lot, they're really, really bad at it. Yeah. 15 touchdowns and five interceptions. Only the other the Dolphins have blitz more. Uh, bang up secondary. I mean, Ridley's still out. You know, whatever you do with Cordero Patterson in the run game, you can throw that out because this is the Buccaneers run defense. And uh, so, no. Uh, I, do you make, do you run, do you make, Cordero a tight end and just run a bunch of two TE stuff, which Arthur Smith can certainly do. Right. Um, I don't know how else to get this passing game on track, even against the secondary where I, I think, I believe Mark, you and I are the starting corners this week. I know we got to get down um, to Tampa in a yeah, hurry here. Get there for crap. Um, He's going to be pissed off if we're late. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I jokingly said that this might be this, the Mark Schofield curse. Cause it seems like I wrote about Arizona. And suddenly they struggled. I, I wrote about Patterson and Pitts and how, look, these are the matchup nightmares that offenses want. Since then, Pitts has basically been held without a red zone target, and Atlanta's kind of crumbled. So I, I need well, to they're playing in right. box on the like the the. I mean, it's a box in one on Pitts. Like how basically. everyone played Steve Smith in two thousand five. <laughs> That's what they're doing. They have nobody else. Right. Um. You know, I I I think. Tampa Bay is so banged up in the secondary that there will still be opportunities to make plays. Um, yeah, because they're so banged up. But, you know, they can't protect Matt Ryan right now. 
Like, yeah. like that's the other thing. Like they, they are struggling on the offensive line. They can't protect Matt Ryan. And yes, you know, Tampa Bay, while they blitz, they're not very good at it. You might not need to against Matt Ryan in this offensive line. Like you could still probably get pressure with four and five. And so, you know, I seeing the struggles of this Atlanta offense recently, like it's hard to think that they're going to be able to have enough to get into a, a shootout with Tom Brady and win it. I don't think they're going to have enough to even win a rock fight. Now, AJ Terrell looking really good at corner for the Falcons. I mean, he's fantastic. Kind of an underrated guy because of yeah. uh, where are you in playoff Lenny, four touchdowns, uh, yeah. week 12. Where are you on Tampa Bay's passing game? It's been a little hit or miss to me. It's been a little hit or miss. Um, you know, and I, I think part of it is in recent weeks, teams have done things that Brady hasn't really expected because they've done things that are like we talked about it with the Washington game. They've done things that were like kind of wrong. Washington Washington played a lot of too high zone against Brady, which they didn't because that didn't fit the profile. Washington played a lot of man and Washington has turned into a zone defense, basically. Yeah. Flipped it halfway through the season. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. And, and, you know, I I think also like Brady's missed some throws, Yeah, um, which is, I don't want to say it's uncharacteristic because all quarterbacks miss throws, but Brady's like looked off on on, some moments. Like, you know, he obviously looked, they, they beat, Indy like the day that was a good win for them playoff Lenny and all that stuff but yeah I mean it hasn't been as crisp as we've seen from them in the past and I do think that missing a B is hurting that passing game yeah. like as we've talked about on this show Brady and a B seem to just like work on the same wavelength somehow where well what is Brady above all else he's a quarterback who needs route precision from his receivers and Antonio Brown with all his crazy ass stuff. That's how never, never probably the best route running receiver or top three of his era. Yeah. And so I think he really misses that element. I think if a guy's that off, off the field, you can't, you know, dial it in when he's on the field. Well, I can give you a hundred examples of, you know, just that, but yeah. Right. So I think they're missing AB. I, I think that hurts them. And I think that's kind of why they're, looking to make sure that AB is right for the playoffs because they know how important he is. They're not rushing him back because they need him come January. Yep. Uh, Cardinals at Bears, my notes. Arizona's defense against Matt, against Matt Nagy, check. Kyler Murray against the Bears' pass defense, checkmate. You got anything yep. else? I think you covered it, Doug. Yep, that's pretty much it. Uh, Chargers at Bengals. This is a fascinating quarterback battle, and yet it might not matter at all because I think in the end, this is Joe Mixon versus the Chargers run defense, and yeah, you know that's going to go. Uh, so Justin Herbert and Laurie Fitzpatrick wrote a really interesting piece, which uh, we put up this morning on Herbert's splits and man and zone deep passes and all that. But in 2020, Herbert was the runaway offensive rookie of the year. Part of that equation was how he just nuked defenders with the deep ball. Last yeah. year, 26 of 67 uh, on attempts at 20 more air yards for 953 yards, 14.2 yards per attempt, 12 touchdowns, three picks, passed away in 107.4. This year, Burrow was, or excuse me, Herbert is better with the deep ball. Um, he just he hasn't thrown out that much. 17 of 35 for 551 yards, 15.9 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, one interception. Passer rating of 122.5. By passer rating, he is the most efficient deep thrower in the NFL, and they're not letting him do it. Why? I don't know. I mean, it, it's because it's I don't want to hear that he doesn't have. I, I, I put this out on Twitter this week. I don't want to hear he doesn't have guys to throw to. We've seen no, he does. He, he, does. he hit a bang on throw against the Broncos, who, wow. Uh, that throw to Keenan Allen, holy crap. I mean, yeah. he, he's got the arm. He's got the guys. What the hell is going on here? I mean, I, I think it's a philosophical thing. You and I talked about it a little bit. Um, I had a conversation with Nate Tice on Twitter yesterday about their offense. And I feel like Lombardi is rooted in that Saints, Drew Brees offensive philosophy where it's a lot of, you know, formation condensed formations at times Seth Galina wrote about how in terms of like distance from football to outside receiver they're like the 26th most condensed offense in the league the quarterback is a point guard in that offense yes that's not Justin Herbert so there's there's a philosophical thing that's going on now interestingly enough I think even though they lost to Denver they did some stuff conceptually that which makes me think 
Lombardi is right now working through how to marry the two. There was a lot of stuff where they went sort of front side, three level concepts, flood, sale, levels, whatever, with a backside, weak side option or choice, as some teams call it, where you've got front side, your vertical concept, backside, you've got Austin Eckler on that two way go, break it to the out, break it on the angle. And that's a nice way to sort of marry those thoughts. They did some interesting stuff with motion, orbit, orbit return. They had a really nice design before halftime where they went empty orbit with Eckler around into the front side yeah. to the backside. Mike linebacker vacates. They just ran a spacing concept and Allen checks up on a sit route where the linebacker vacated. You know, that's a nice way to use motion pre-snap to get some advantageous stuff, even on the quick game post post-snap concepts. So I think Lombardi's working through how to marry with what Herbert does well to what his offense in his mind should look like. But it's week 13, week 13. Like you should have done this earlier. And so I think hopefully they're figuring it out. But you're right. Like, like Justin Herbert is not a point guard quarterback. Like, like he's a Mike Tyson quarterback. That it's should, like asking Scott to throw a pass instead of shoot threes. Yeah. What I mean, here? what are we trying to accomplish? Yeah. So I, I think it's a philosophical thing that Lombardi's working through. And for their sake, I hope that he works through it quicker than he's done today. Well, time is of the essence. They're six and five. Yeah. Uh, they've got the Bengals, tough. They got the Giants, eh. Then they yeah. got the Chiefs, much better defense. Texans, you never know. Broncos, ouch. Raiders, who the hell knows? Um, yeah. And that's a very good Denver secondary. It's a oh very God. good Denver well, secondary. They play match. They're not the best man defense in the NFL. They are the best match defense in the NFL. And they have been for a number of years under Vic Fangio. That's just what he does. And in Sertan, especially, they've got a guy who can just uh, – Yeah. It was more than just the two interceptions, although the two interceptions, you know, that, that's right. pretty nice if you can do that. Uh, Vikings, Lions, Dr. Schofield, I have to admit, I have nothing here. I was f- so focused on, like, three other games. Yeah. Um, I know the Vikings are the only team in the NFL who have a seven-point lead in every game. Yeah. Season, and I believe they're the only team ever to do that that currently has a losing record. Right. Because the the Vikings cannot play a normal game like the Seattle Seahawks. They can just yeah. not play a normal game. I mean, Cousins is you know by PFF grade and one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. But like he's still Kirk Cousins. Like he's not the guy that's going to hit the three to five throws all the time consistently. You know to drag a team, kick it and scream into the playoffs. Now look, Justin Jefferson is fantastic, um, but. It's the Detroit Lions. Like, like Minnesota should be able to win this one. That shouldn't be a concern. I mean, I, I think the the longer-term concern in Minnesota, I think, is what are they getting up front? Everson Griffin. I think they need to address edge at some point in the draft. Um, but, yeah, they should they should win this one. Cousins, by the way, is second in DYAR and third in DVOA. Yeah. Good for him. Good for him. Good for him. Okay. Now – Giants and Dolphins. Uh, Daniel Jones has a neck strain, so he may be subjected to Mike Glennon. Um, uh, Tua is the first quarterback in Dolphins history with an 80% completion rate in two straight games, minimum five attempts in each game. I think there were a number of games where Bob Greasy completed 80% of his passes. Yeah, because he was four or five. Exactly. Uh, A lot of short stuff. Heavy RPO action. Their whole offense is in RPO right now. Yep. Um, and Jalen Waddle is the yak beast, which you you give you give Waddle a skinny slant and you miss not just miss a tackle, you put the like the wrong timing and it's a house call. Waddle yeah. is just incredible. Yeah. Um, now Miami's defense we mentioned before, uh, only the Buccaneers have blitzed more than the Dolphins. But here's the thing. Uh, so Jalen Phillips and Emmanuel Ogba, Doug, remember his name this time. He's only been on like three of my underrated lists. Beat the daylights out of Carolina's alleged offensive line. And as much as we talk about the zero blitzes, they can drop seven and get pressure with four. They had 16 yeah. sacks and 140 total pressures with three or four rushers this season. They're not building the whole thing out of just the blitz. They were uh, one and seven after the Bills beat them on Halloween. They rattled off four straight wins. Ravens yeah. are the only good team they've beaten. Texans, Jets, Panthers. But given what that defense did to Lamar Jackson, that's legit. The offense is reductive. I don't know if they get out of that this year. The offensive line is almost as bad as the Panthers line they just demolished, but they're officially frisky at this point. 
They are. And Miami is 16 and seven in November through January since Brian Flores became their head coach. Four and 17 in September through October. So this is a thing. This is a thing. It's very Belichickian. Figure out what you do and then do it well down the stretch. That's what they've done. I wonder where we're at. They've built the whole plane out of the RPO game. And maybe that's not going to be the long term solution. Um, but I think it's working for them right now. Well, given their I, run game, which is eh, – it puts a big burden on their defense. Yeah. Maybe their um, defense can handle it because their defense is really good. Their defense is very good. We've seen what it's done to both, you know, Carolina and Baltimore in, in the past couple of weeks. I think two has shown some promise, even on the non-RPO stuff. Um, leverage, placement, ball security – um, decision making. Touched down to Waddle. Bring that in there. That wasn't, you know, and that, that was like a, that wasn't a handoff. That was a good throw. That was a very good throw. It was a very good read. And I think my favorite part about it when I when I did it on Monday, and I know Dan Orlovsky did it yesterday, it was the quick decision, right? The, the, the snap decision to get the ball out, which is all the time. It's such an easy thing to say. Like you get asked, "What does this quarterback need to improve upon?" Decision making, faster decisions, but it's critical to play in the position. And you're seeing that from Tua right now. The, the RPO stuff, it's what they have to do given their offensive line. Um, you know, I know Ben Solak wrote about it for the Ringer this week. Like, you know, when they try deeper stuff, they I think, you know, they can block it up okay. But I think their offensive line right now is such that they need to create some conflict, and they're doing that in the RPO I do not game. think that they can block it up okay. I mean, I think they're like 24th in pressure rate on five to seven step drops, which is like a really tiny little sliver of a sample size there. Um, so there's an argument to be made that it's not – all the offensive line, but for what they want to do, a lot of it is the offensive line. And that's why I think the RPO game is helping them right now. And of course it's a, it's a ground that's very fertile for Tua. Like that's what he did at Alabama. That's what he's familiar with. And for all the stuff we say about running offense that your quarterback is ready to run. That's it. Uh, Tua, <laughs> Jacoby Brissett has more deep attempts than Tua does. Tua has nine of 17 on, on uh, deep passes. Uh, one touchdown, one interception. Was it 65 yard or a couple weeks ago? Um, uh, yeah, we'll see where that goes. If they can get their passing game together, um, you know, we, we, as we discussed for 25 minutes, the AFC yeah. is a, a two man race, but we'll see. Uh, Eagles at Jets, I believe now officially, uh, the Eagles are the best team in NFL history when Jason Kelsey is on the field and the worst team in NFL history when he's not, right? Yeah. That is statistically correct. It's a statistical fact. Yes. Uh, I am not an offensive coordinator, Mark, nor am I a head coach, nor did I play football past third grade. Um, I'm not a GM. I'm not a football genius. I just am a guy who writes stuff. But my best receiver is begging for the ball on a potentially game-winning drive. My quarterback is instead throwing the ball to a guy who can't catch it over and over and over. I'm going to have some questions. Thus, the Devontae Smith versus Jalen Rager schism. Uh, elaborate, because you do the QB factor. Yeah. Somebody um, needs a reboot here. Yeah. It, it's weird. And, and Rachel, who, again, everybody, please go follow her, at Rachel Monique on, on the Bird app. She's awesome. We talked about it this week, right? When, when you have Devonta Smith – Dallas Goddard, your, your two best passing game targets, getting fewer targets, you know, between the two of them than Jalen Rangor, like something's wrong. Now, is it a coaching thing? Sometimes it can be. But at the same time, they were scheming stuff up where Smith was open, where Goddard was open. Which isn't and what the Hurts, coach said. The guy, I, was, I think it was Steach and said, well, yeah, we tried to throw it to Devontae, but he was double covered. Well, he was still open. He was still that didn't, open. That didn't really track with me. Like, like the first interception that Hurts threw, it was the run through and then the dig. And Smith was open initially. And Hurts is looking at it. It's a single high coverage. And he looks at it long enough that the safety is like, all right, fine. I guess he's going to throw it. So he breaks on it. And then Hurts resets his eyes to throw on the dig. The problem is Quez Watkins kind of like sits down and he leads him and it gets intercepted. So it's like you had it. You didn't throw it. Then you almost created a better opportunity by moving the safety with your eyes. And it wasn't like you were trying to move. You were just trying to decide if you want to throw it or not. And then you almost created a better opportunity and still get intercepted. Like there were opportunities to hit both of those guys. The second interception, mesh sit, eight seconds left before halftime, third and goal from the one. You have one timeout left. You draw up the mesh. Goddard is looking for the ball. He's like literally like this in the end zone. Hertz doesn't throw it. He doesn't throw it. 
And, and so, as I said on that show, I'm reminded of the second interception I threw against Hamilton back in 1997 when we ran leak down in the red zone and I missed it. And our poor offensive line coach threw a pick. Offensive line coach Hugh Velasquez comes running down the sideline because they didn't get the weak side blitz blocked up like the Mac Jones stuff I was talking about. And our coach is like, I don't bleep and care if you guys missed it because he's the bleep and bleep that threw it. And, and that's ultimately what it comes down to. Like if the defense tries to take something away or if you scheme something up and you don't bleep and throw it, you're the guy that's supposed to throw that. And so I hope that from Hertz's perspective, this was a game that he learns from, like you can make those throws. You've schemed stuff open, pull the trigger. And Oh, by the way, when it's 30 going from the one with eight seconds left in the half and you still have a timeout, it's okay to throw it away. It's okay to even take a sack because you still have the timeout, but don't for the love of God, force a throw late on the move that gets picked off. Yes. Uh, Steve said, well, Nick, Nick Sirianni said, uh, Devontae Smith was 1A on that. Goddard was 1B. Uh, Steve said, we're trying to get the ball to Goddard and Smith. They covered it up pretty good. Hurts scrambled around through it to Rager. Um, said Smith got undercut a little bit and he was looking for him and he scrambled around. Um, yeah, I don't know. That, and, and, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Is that a coach kind of? That's a coach covering for his guy. Yeah. I mean, I think because yeah. once you get out of the pocket in that situation, situational wears, you got to do something differently. Throw it into the 15th row. Like, whatever you want to do, you cannot throw a pick there because it's a three nothing game. Hit the horse mascot like Mox did. Yeah, seriously. Break the mascot's <laughs> nose, whatever you have to do, but don't do that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of hitting, he hit the bleeping bull. Zach Wilson is basically new pollution at this point. I don't know how yeah. to fix all that randomness. Uh, I will probably just move on right there. Uh, Colts at Texans. I need to make an impassioned plea to everyone who's bashing Frank Reich for only calling 16 running plays for Jonathan Taylor. If you were criticizing Reich for this and you thought Mike McCarthy was right in not running the ball against Tampa Bay's defense, and you thought Bill Belichick was right in not running the ball on Tampa Bay's defense, and the Patriots came one yard on eight carries, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Jonathan Taylor had some positive plays, but before things started to go right, a turnover since Carson Wentz is playing, in my opinion, out of his mind. Um, this was the Wentz you, they, they wanted to see. Decisive, yeah. made some stick throws when he needed to. Um, the two interceptions, one was a Hail Mary at the end of the game. It doesn't count. Uh, the Winfield pick was a great play by Winfield. Just mossed uh, Pittman, who's like, you know, foot taller than him. And Pittman's kind of standing there going, oh, an interception. Cool. You want to see a little more effort on that. Um, the Colts ran 26 straight passing plays against the Buccaneers completed secondary in the first half. Once was 16 of 24 for 197 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. If you're going with narratives, you're looking at Jonathan Taylor blowing up the Bills defense for five total touchdowns, and you know that Wentz can be spiky in performance at the best of times, you're going to read Reich the riot act. But Reich wasn't wrong. He also said that during the 26 pass stretch, Wentz has a, a ton of RPOs that went to pass options because that's what was there. And that's what's going to be there against the Buccaneers defense. I'm sure you watched the tape. First, I put this up on Twitter, the first Colts offensive play in the game, they try to hit it to the left. Vita Vea is on the other side of the formation, jumps three gaps, and it's no game. I've never seen a man that large move that fast. You are yep. not going to run on this team. Stop yep. killing Frank Reich for doing the situationally correct thing. Process versus outcome. Just because the Colts lost doesn't mean he was wrong. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, 100%. Um, you wrote about it so well this week. Deontay Lee wrote about it yesterday or so. Like, Think back to week one that game where we were all like, oh man, like Dak's back. Like, yeah, sure. Like Tampa Bay won, but like Dallas looks pretty good. What did they run? He completed 200 of 300 passes for like, they ran it eight times because they knew you don't run against this Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. You just don't do it. Like we should be praising Frank Reich for this approach rather than Belichick was talking. It was in the week leading up to the Titans game. It was last week. And he was talking about the run game overall and how well they're doing it. I th- that was where uh, Vrabel was saying that the Patriots are the best run game in the NFL, and Belichick's like, oh, Mike's throwing bouquets. But he said in that presser, I think it was last Thursday, last Friday, something, <coughs> said, you know, you go back to our game against the Buccaneers, you don't force the run game against a defense like that when it's not there. You yeah. adapt, you change the plan. Well, if Belichick did it, and you know, Mike McCarthy, eh, uh, but 
let's, you know, I just, I had to get that out of my system because I've seen so many people calling Reich an idiot for this. Reich was absolutely correct to do what he did. Now, if Carson Wentz goes out there and vomits five interceptions, okay, that was the best game I've seen Wentz play in I don't know how long. I'm not saying it was like Brady-esque in 2007, um, but I thought for what they wanted him to do, what they groomed him to do, what they hoped he could again become, yeah. I thought that was the Carson Wentz you want to see. You put the yeah. ball in your quarterback's hands when you have, no matter how good your run game is. Uh, was Nelson out for that game? I think he was. I think he was, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was. So that, you know, best guard in football is out. Okay, let's let's do this because this works. Because the Buccaneers secondary is, you know, just it's not bad. It's just they have nobody. Right. Um, situational football, guys, not every defense is the same. Not every offense is the same. Um, there are all kinds of different ways to win in the NFL. Just saying. Yeah. No, I mean, I think Grant Reich over. did the absolutely right thing in this game. Grant over. Um, yep. Washington at Raiders. Let's say in the offseason, Washington looks at the draft. They don't see an answer at quarterback. Maybe they don't think Kenny Pickett is discernibly better than Taylor Heine. Whether you agree or disagree, but that's they say that. Scott Turner says, Okay. Uh, maybe they aren't in the running for Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. Maybe they're just gun shy after the whole Dwayne Haskins thing. Maybe they think they can build a decent offense around Heineke, who's been great with play and boot action. He's kind of Kirk Cousins light or Kirk Cousins a few years ago uh, when he was wearing a similar uniform. Uh, you make Antonio Gibson in the run game the foundation of your offense. You rely on defense. It's starting to improve. Based on what you've seen from Heineke, is that like a franchise-killing mistake? Or do you think they could get away with that? Because I'm wondering if that's where they go. I don't think it's a franchise killing mistake. I necessarily would not do that. I'm not but, calling it great. Yeah. I'm not I, I, even above average. I think there's a case to be made that, you know, seeing what it would cost to acquire a Rogers or a Wilson would be cost prohibitive. And that could be in a way of a franchise killing mistake, giving up so much draft capital or cap space or whatever. And then you look at this draft class and you're sitting there at 19, 20, wherever you are in the draft. And it's like, do we take a flyer on a Desmond Ritter or a Malik Willis, or do we draft say an Andrew Booth at corner or, you know, do we draft a, you know, DeMarvin Leal, who could slide or gosh, Jordan Davis, the Georgia kid who could slide, or do you go at any number of different tackles might slide? You run to the podium if that happens. And I think that's you had you had them taking picket in your mock. I had them taking picket in the mock because for me, like I I still think that there's a way to address the quarterback position in the draft that would be better. I I think picket, if he's there, is very enticing. I had a conversation with somebody who's Davis were there. Uh, I'm Anyone who suggests picking at that point, I'm going to smack them upside the head. Yeah, I mean, because I think that there's a way to build an offense, like you said, you know, a Baker-esque, a Keenum-esque, a Stefanski, a Goff-esque type of offense with Taylor Heineke, and you can go get a game-changer type player instead of forcing a quarterback pick, then you do it. So I don't think it's a franchise killer mistake, especially if you look at the amount of talent you could put around the quarterback position in that kind of scenario. And, And Heineke, look, is he a guy that you that is going to throw for 6,000 yards and, and rip shred defenses? No, but he can make good decisions with the football. He can generally speak and take care of the football. He's athletic enough where he can extend plays with his legs. You can use him on that boot stuff. So I think that, look, if Washington sits back and they decide, look, we're okay with rolling with Heineke because of uncertainty about this next quarterback class and what it would cost to go get one of these guys in free agency or via trade. I don't think it's a franchise kill mistake at all. He is by far the best, uh, the most efficient play action quarterback. Nine touchdowns, no interceptions. Yeah. For a thousand yards, 9.1 yards per attempt. So this isn't, you know, this isn't the two uh, RPO plan. No. Mm-hmm. You know, if it were me, I, I might go that way. No. Maybe you, you get a quarterback who's just good enough not to lose. You build it around. You got a defense that's moving up. You got Antonio Gibson who, you know, stud. Knew it before it was going to happen because it was just obvious from his college tape. Um, <clears throat> I think when you – and they know this because they did it a couple of years ago. When you overdraft yep. a guy who's obviously – and I, I wrote a lot about Haskins before he was drafted. Like, no, run, run. Yeah. Not the off-field. It was the on-field. Like, this is 
this is bad. This is really, really bad. Um, you don't force a decision on a quarterback. So that just, you know, popped into my head when I was watching them, you know, because I had a lot of time to think while I was watching the Seahawks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that just came to mind. Kind of a franchise building exercise. Um, Jaguars at Rams. Matthew Stafford has thrown a pick pick six in three straight games. Uh, Only Matt Schaub, four straight in 2013, has the longest streak since 1950. So, hey. You know, maybe the Jaguars can make history. Here's the maybe. weirdest stat of the year. And I have to, it's like one of those stats we were reading. That, okay, first of all, that can't be right. There's some data crunch here. And then I have to go look at the tape. Two defenses have not a lot of touchdown pass with 20 or more air yards this season. The Bills and the Jaguars. Strange. I have to, I have to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to for that one. Okay, because she, she is our Jaguars expert. Yep. Yes, we have one. Ravens and Steelers. Ben's done. That pick yep. to Mike Hilton was that's an excusable throw if you've got four guys in your face and like a plane crashing out of the field. Uh, other than that, I, I don't even think that was his worst pick in the game. Like the one yeah. along the right sideline was just, just as, yeah. I mean, and this team for a Mike Tomlin team, you're hearing a lot of things you don't hear. You're hearing about effort, you're hearing about toughness. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk in recent weeks. Effort and physicality, Mike Tomlin specifically. And Chase yeah. people say we need more music, and Tomlin's like, yeah, you know what? You go catch passes, I'll, I'll put the game plan together. Thanks. Yeah, it's just, it, it's odd. But, yeah, I mean, the first pick, the one by Eli Apple. Yeah, like that was bad. I mean, he ran oh, towards the line of scrimmage to get everything he had to, to into that throw, and he lets it go from the 31? And it doesn't even get to the opposite 40. Yeah. Like, and uh, that's when you're, when you're all assing it and that's what you've got. Yeah, and, and it's, it, yeah, I'm rewatching it. Like, does his arm get hit? Like, like what happens yeah. here? But I no. went back cause I had, I watched it live cause I had it on game pass at the same time I was watching it on TV. So I, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Somebody must've been in his face. That was just abysmal. And yeah. nobody was. And, and we were here this time last year, right? It was no, okay. Well, look, we were dancing around it. Now we're not dancing. We're no, because I remember we were saying like you know, is it November? Uh, and at the start of this year, we were like, okay, well, we'll see what it looks like in November. And here we are. Yeah. And I know yeah. Tomlin saying, I don't want to play with a rookie quarterback. You might have to. Yeah. Um, there were two podcast staples last year. There was is Ben done and don't play man if you can't play man. Yeah. Uh, Ben's done, and there are only two teams that can play man well, so we threw those out. Yeah. Uh, two teams that can't play man very well. 49ers at Seahawks. Um, I'll say this about Seattle's offense and I'll move on because it doesn't really deserve any more oxygen uh, now or the rest of the season. Per ESPN stats and info, the Seahawks are the only team to go three and out on five straight drives in a game this season. And they've done it twice. Monday night against Washington and week four against the 49ers. Seattle still won that game 28 to 21. I do not see a repeat of that, although Debo Samuel is out. Yeah. Warner is out. Um, if you've got some early Christmas shopping to do, maybe put your Amazon wish list together. If you're in a local market and you don't have Red Zone or whatever, um, perhaps Needlepoint or yeah. take a guitar lesson, get a massage. You know, yeah, Betty, whatever. Right. This yeah. is this is the the weekly nominee for the. This is a professional football product. Professional. Game. Well, in the CFs case, it isn't even that. No. Are, are we? Is the, is that window officially closed in Seattle now? Oh, it, it's it's shuttered. It's boarded. Yeah. It's done. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to into the whole Russ repeat thing because I've heard some really ridiculous takes on. That. Yeah, <laughs> would you trade uh, the Giants' first two round, you know, first round picks for Russell Wilson? Like, have you seen the way Seattle's drafted in the first rounds of twenty thirteen? You are yeah. throwing away a Hall of Fame quarterback for nothing if you're going to trade Russ. You better get someone in that building who can freaking draft. Yeah. Those guys can't. You look at Seattle with Scott McGluin and without, and we know who the brains were. Phil Nagy, and then with, I'm just saying. Yeah. Just saying. I like Pete. I like John. It's not working. It needs to change. And the quarterback is not the biggest problem. He's like the 12th biggest problem on that team. Yep. Yeah. And he's not playing well. Well, he's hurt. Duh. Yep. Yeah. 
uh, our final game, Broncos at Chiefs. And since the Chiefs were on a bye last week and the recoveries on both offense and defense are recent, we can be forgiving for sliding into the how do you fix the Chiefs stuff. I think the Chiefs have kind of fixed themselves. The defense has been an entirely yep. different animal. Chris Jones moved back inside. Melvin Ingram, clap, 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 clap. Yep. Sixth-round pick. Um, I think the Steelers, who were brilliant in figuring out how to use Mika Fitzpatrick, should have been a little more brilliant in figuring out how to use Melvin Ingram. Yeah. I think they could use him right now. I think they could. Um, on offense, it brought things back to base for Mahomes. Start with a quick game, get him in rhythm. Then he doesn't feel that every play has to be an explosive play, which, by the way, is one of Russell Wilson's problems yeah. because the Seahawks possess the ball for five minutes a game. The matchup I love here is Kansas City's passing game against Denver's pass defense because the Broncos are so good at plastering across the formation. They're, I love watching them in cover. Yeah. It's just so cool because it's not – you know, I, I, I've been a match evangelist for a long time. There's no better defense playing match in the league, and it's been that way for a while. Um, so we'll see. What, what, Mahomes has had great games against the Broncos. He's had bad games. When they play like this, it presents challenges to Mahomes in that, you know, they're getting him back on the easy first and second read plan. Well, with that defense the way it's playing now, you think it's open, and then it isn't. Yeah, and, and, and you, they will bait you like crazy. And those players in the secondary are so physical yeah. at the catch point. Um, you think back to that. Kimmons and Sertan especially are just there. Yeah, know. I mean, you think back to that sort of stunner a couple of weeks ago when they blew out. I mean, they won by 14, but they get two, t- two late touchdowns. I still think it was kind of a blowout win against Dallas. That was, they were so disruptive at the catch point. So disruptive. That was and, a whole, the, I, I read a whole piece about that. It was, yeah. yeah. And, and, and look, the Caden Stearns, kind of a good safety. Yeah. Like that, that pick he had of Dak was, they, they executed that one cross so well, so fluid on the exchange on that. Dak never saw it. Um, this is a good secondary, and it's a good you know what you can tell by the way when a defense is playing like the Rams were like this last year, where all of a sudden, like Darius, what, what? you get two or three guys who all of a sudden we have to learn about, so yeah, and it's yeah, it's kind of coming out that way, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's exactly right now. You know, obviously, the, the, the interesting part of this game will be that Broncos offense and, and this sort of Chiefs new look defense now with Melvin Ingram. Well, no, I'm not so Bridgewater sure. got hurt. They put Drew Lock in, and then they realized it was like that baby meme. Oh, you're gone. Yeah, um, it's 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 a bit rough there. I mean, it, you know, and I think it was Asaiyson who said last week that they, if they had a quarterback that was remotely good, they'd be a team to beat in the AFC. Mm-hmm. Um, so that leads you to what they do in the offseason. I still think they have a handshake agreement with Aaron Rodgers, but we'll see. But I don't know if the, the Broncos' offense can score enough. Um, I think Kansas City can win this in a rock fight. They can win it going away. Yeah, they scored. They scored. Yeah, thirty against the Cowboys. Um, they have scored less than twenty points one, two, three, four, five times this season. Yeah, that ain't good. No, and against the Chiefs' defense, it seems to have figured stuff out. Probably not going to be good enough. Yeah, that Chiefs' defense going to be interesting the rest of the year. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, anything else, Dr. Schofield? No, that will do it. I will probably be doing something on Traylon Barks, the Arkansas wide receiver, who was a fun guy to watch in the vertical pass game. He had a play against Mississippi, Doug, against it. I think it was cover four. He put his arm up to ask for the ball on a vertical route when the corner still had like seven yards of cushion. And he was just like, no, I, I want the ball. And QB just threw up like a 50-50 yellow throw, and he went up and got it like, He's fun to watch. Nice. And we'll have three throws to SCO. Uh, who, who are the yep. quarterback this week? Um, we're going to see some Joe Burrow. We're going to see some – who else did I do this week? We're going to see some Wilson? Tua. No. Not Zach Wilson. Um, we're going to see some Tua. Um, I forget who else I did. Um, Monday seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah. But, yeah, that will be going up soon. We'll get that too. All right, man. Uh, as always, great stuff, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a good week, everybody.